0: We're in Ephesians chapter 4, picking up right where we left off a week ago, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 17 through 24 this morning, 17 through 24. I'll start off just reading verses 17, uh, and actually, no, I'm going to read, I don't always do it, but uh, this morning I'll read verses 17 through 24, let, let you see the whole Text in context and context and how it flows together, and then we'll kind of break it down a couple verses at a time. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. It should be marked. If you need one, we can put one in your hand, it should be ready to go. Starting with verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4. And this I say, and therefore testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles, or just think the world. Walk In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned in Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as truth. Is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Lord, we ask that you would open our understanding to these scriptures written. About 2,000 years ago, and Lord, they are as true today and they will be true a trillion years from now as the day you wrote them and gave them to your servant Paul. And Lord, open our eyes that we would hear from Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that you'd remove anything in this room in our hearts and our mind which would be a barrier to you speaking to us. We ask, Lord, that you would anoint this time, use me, use your word, and Lord, may all of us have open hearts to hear directly from you. Drive out anything at all, Lord. It would hinder the work of the gospel this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if God, through his son Jesus, transforms a life, would you agree he's done that a lot? If God transforms a life, and that individual life that's been saved by grace never forgets what God has done for them, and that, that's what God wants all of us. He wants to transform us, that we never forget. But we, that life just never forgets what God has done, and that life keeps their eyes on Jesus, and on his love, and on his commands. And this same life continues to come back to the altar of God's grace and mercy, continues, keeps coming back to the altar of grace and mercy reminded by the Spirit again and again and again, all through life, guess what we can expect? That life, we can expect that that life, the life of that believer in Jesus Christ will be healthy, spiritually speaking, not a guarantee of physical health, but healthy, spiritually speaking, growing in the Lord, walking in grace, not perfect, no one in this room is going to reach perfection status, but growing walking, healthy, and impacting the lives of others, both saved people and unsaved people. I'm really glad when saved people impact my life. How about you? But I'm also glad when saved people impact unsaved people's life because the life of Christ is flowing through a life that has not forgotten, eyes are still on Jesus, and is walking in this grace. Now, if it's a scriptural expectation... And it definitely is. What can be the impact of an entire group of people, a group of believers, walking in newness of life? All walking in that same newness of life. All walking in purity. All walking in the Holy Spirit rather than the flesh and this world. Well, the impact will be exponential, wouldn't it? See what 12 apostles did? And we know one apostle, Paul, had a great impact. But and even he didn't do it alone. You ever read Paul's salutations? The end of his, uh, when, he, when he writes like to the Romans, he lists a laundry list of people that he said were instrumental in the work of the church. So he didn't do it alone. But this letter is written to you and me personally. If there was no one else in the room but you, or if I was standing here in the pulpit all by myself and you weren't here today, I could preach this same message because I would need it. And you would need it. Because it's written to us individually, but it's also written to us collectively. We are a body. Some of you are the kneecap. Some of you are the foot. Some of you are the shoulder blade. You hadn't thought about shoulder blades forever, did? but now you've thought about it again, right? Because all of those parts are coming together. Now think of 140 to 150 adults in this room, and we have actually more than that today. This room seats about 175, and we're pretty close to capacity. But... We, we average between 140, 150 a Sunday, and that c- continues to inch up, which pray with us, we're praying about that too. That's another future endeavor of what we do there. But think of 140, 150 adults filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Not two, not 10, not 15, but 140 to 50 adults filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just saved and say, well, I've got my shack in heaven which is not a theology. You will, not, you will never find that verse in the Bible. I know people like to talk about that, but there is no such thing. You said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He never said there was any shack in heaven. That might allow people to say, well, I could live like I'm getting a shack and still get there. Well, that's a theology you may want to reread up on because it's not in Scripture. But nevertheless, we're not just saved, not just making it through us by fire, as the book of Job says, barely, barely getting by by the fire that just singes our garments, and we just slid in. No, but filled with a spirit, full of salt, full of light in the world day by day. In your family, I don't know how many people are in each family. Some of these families are larger than others. Dr. Russ is populating Palatine faster than other families, <laughs> but um, but the Browns are giving him a run for the money out there, so uh, you know, the, soon we could take over the county just with, just with the families. But I digress. But if one person, if just one person in your family was living for Jesus, just one, that would be great. Because some families have zero. If just one person in your family is living for Jesus, that would be a good thing, because it's far better than zero. God says one soul, all heaven rejoices over. But if your whole family was living for Jesus, all three of you, all four of you, all five of you, look at the wider influence that you would have and the number of lives that are touched by a college student that goes off to college that loves the Lord, by a high school student that loves the Lord, by a husband and wife in different places, and one's a man, one's a woman, different lives, different spheres of influence. I read the other day that without, the, without our pinky finger, you might not pay much attention to it other than when you're biting your nails or uh, getting, you know, getting things out of them or whatever, you've done some garden work, your pinky finger Take away the pinky finger, you lose 50% of your hand strength. Pinky fingers are important. You might be a pinky finger in the body of Christ. And, matter of fact, you might be, God might have been calling you for eons now to go serve in a certain area, and you still keep resisting, and certain ministry will gain 50% strength when your pinky joins in. Amazing, isn't it? The pinky matters. Say, well, I don't know as much as the thumb doesn't matter. The pinky adds the force multiplier. Every single thing. little. The Bible says, despise not the day a small thing. Say, well, I don't know the Bible as much as this person, so I couldn't serve over here. I couldn't do this over here. God would say, like he said to Jeremiah, who told you that? Because he said, I love, as my good friend Thomas Powell says it, stop saying that, he said to Jeremiah. The pinky finger matters. When all the ten fingers work together, there's an increase in strength. And so we... Understand that God may use this pinky finger or this finger or another finger to reach someone that the other person can't reach, that the other part of the body can't reach. Sometimes I can reach something with my foot if I'm driving that fell, that if I tried to reach with any other part of the body, we could have an accident, right? You ever done that when you're driving? You at least got to move it and say, well, why? Because if it got under the pedal, we'd have a problem. But there's a reach that God gives each part of the body. And I don't know what your reach is, but God has a reach that he wants you to be involved in. And we know the Lord's desire. We know he wants to love for, care for, use you and me personally. But he also wants to send us out together collectively. That's why we've been going through this chapter. And if you're taking notes, I've titled today A Whole New Walk marks of the healthy church part three next week will be part four because God wants us to be a healthy church now when you think of a healthy church remember that you individually are a little temple right we have a temple that's residing by the Holy Spirit so we're a bunch of little temples or little bricks put together that make one larger building so we want to be a healthy individual member of the body but put together it becomes a healthy church if all the bricks are solid. If all the foundations laid correctly, uh, then this walk is not just us one by one, but all of us going out two by two, three by three, four by four. You've probably heard the saying that clothes make the man, or you probably heard this saying, dressing for success. You ever remember reading those books in college? Say, yeah, you got to wear this on your first interview, and you got to look a certain way, and make sure that you know. Uh, you're dressed correctly, and that is true. Uh, there's some truth to that as it relates to certain jobs and um, uh, career setting. I used to uh, you know do some work with college kids and I give them advice on you know how they would prepare. so how you look is important. But people can also have way too much focus on the outward, wouldn't you agree? People get in debt, they get into all kinds of other you know pride and envy over the outward appearance. but when you think about our spiritual clothing, our spiritual clothing is more important and it's on the inside, it's on the inside of us. It has a direct impact on our outward behavior, doesn't it? Our spiritual clothing will ha- impact our outward countenance and our outward behavior. And what Paul is laying out here for the Ephesians and for us is that the old clothing, what used to adorn our hearts, is now to be replaced by the garments of righteousness. Now, you can't, you can't buy these garments. Jesus purchased them on the cross. Isn't that great? These are not garments you can say, hey, I'd like, uh, I'd like to purchase some garments of righteousness. I'm going to write this letter to heaven. I'd like to order a set for my inward man or my inward woman. Mm-mm. Jesus gives them to us by his blood, by the work of the cross. Spiritual clothing is given by the Holy Spirit. But... The Holy Spirit will give us this spiritual garment, these spiritual clothes to now walk in, but we have to intentionally and willingly put them on. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2.9, he said, for, this, for to this end I also wrote, that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Jesus said, If you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments. That's what he said. He said, this is the test of your love, that you'll keep my commandments. He says, I will give you these garments, but will you put them on or will you not put them on? If we love him, we'll say we will put them on. And as we put on the garments of righteousness, it's the least we can do, isn't it? It's the least we can do. He purchased them with his blood. Now, if somebody bought you a brand new house, would you say, hey, that's not that big a deal. I'm not going to thank him." I'm not even going to invite them over to have a cup of uh, tea or anything like that. Uh, They had the money to do it anyway. No, you'd have a gratitude if Jesus purchased these garments. The least we can do is put them on and wear them. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. And I just recognized I need my clicker. So someone can push me through to uh, my first point. If you're taking notes, we'll look at verse 17 through 18. New thinking. If you're taking notes, we'll look at three things is, is pretty much my custom every now and then I mix it up but this morning new thinking looking at verse 17 and 18 this I say therefore and testify the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles or again the rest of the world walk and the futility of their minds having their understanding darkened and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance is in them because of the blindness of their heart now that's a mouthful that Paul says Paul paints a picture of people who are lost in utter darkness. That's not the way we seem to see people. It was, um, was D.L. Moody. he was in London, and he'd asked another pastor. he said he looked down on all the people in London walking around. and he said, "What do you?" D.L Moody asked him he said, "What do you see?" And the other pastor said, "I see people walking everywhere, shopping, going to the bank, this, that, and the other goes, "That's your problem. I see souls." walking in darkness. Your problem is you just see them as pretty happy-go-lucky. But Paul was seeing them differently. He was seeing them through the Holy Spirit. Many of you may have thought of yourself before you came to Christ as a pretty functioning machine. Or not machine, but human being. You you thought of yourself as a pretty well-functioning human being. You brushed your teeth. I mean, you couldn't be all that off if you did that, right? You went to work, you maintained a job, you maintained your home, you actually fed the pets. You paid your bills, you even waved hi to your neighbor. Maybe even helped the neighbor out a time or two. Lent them the rake or this that and the other. Before the conviction of our sins, before our eyes were opened to our lost condition, We would have seen uh, most other people, and we'd have seen ourselves as normal, functioning human beings, just, just a pretty good member of society, maybe even a decent person. From a human perspective, we'll typically see ourselves as pretty good, and we'll typically see most people as pretty good. Matter of fact, most people talk to, if you say, are most people pretty good? They'll say, yeah, most people are pretty good people. Yeah, there's the one, and there's, the, there's a handful of Hitlers, Stalins, Mao's, Charles Manson's, racists. You know, all kinds. Of, there's a few. There's a few oddballs out there, but most people are pretty good. That's most people's perspective of themselves. That's most people's perspective of everybody else. That most people are morally pretty good. But Paul's not writing from a human perspective. Reread it again and again if you have to. Paul's not writing from a human perspective. Paul didn't write this. The Holy Spirit wrote it. Paul had a pen, and actually he usually had an assistant write it as he would dictate. The Holy Spirit would give it, and it's coming from the Lord himself. All Scripture is God-breathed. He's not writing it from a human perspective, but he's writing it from God's omniscience, God's all-knowing authority, and he's writing it from God's holiness. So when God looks at the world, he doesn't see pretty good people. That's important for us for a number of reasons. Number one, well, two that I'll mention here. This is very important for two reasons, among others. But number one, we'll all have to answer to God someday. That's a big deal. That's an enormous deal. That's a universe-sized deal. Everyone in this room will answer to God someday, literally, Literally, more real than the cereal you ate this morning will be the face-to-face that we'll someday have with God. And no matter what we think is right, no matter what we believe, no matter what our opinions are, it would be too late at that point to say, whoops, God was right, I was wrong. Wouldn't Wouldn't you agree? At that point, it's too late. We meet him face to face, unless we're in the right standing. That's why that's so important that we bow now. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We'll either bow now or we'll bow later. That's a true statement. It's so good to bow now. We'll get into that a little bit more. But number two of these various reasons, one, we'll answer to God. But two, God sees the heart. So we know we'll answer to him, but we, know, we can know definitively right now that God knows what you're thinking right this second. He knows if you're thinking, this message isn't that great. He knows if you're thinking that. He knows if you're thinking, I can't wait to get the Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever else, or uh, I, I got stuff to do at home. And um, He knows that. He knows everything you're thinking. He knows if I just sidetracked you or whatever else it may be. <laughs> but he knows we're not as good as we might have thought we were. Doesn't he? And we come to finally know, oh, God's opened our eyes too. Notice the language Paul uses here in describing the mind, describing the heart, describing the thoughts of those who are still lost without Christ. Notice the language he uses. And by the way, this is not Paul judging. A lot of times people, if you, if you share with people a verse, they'll say this, Don't judge me. I couldn't judge you if I wanted to. I have no power or authority over another human soul, and neither do you. So this whole, don't judge me, we can't judge anyone in the sense of we can't pass any kind of eternal judgment. We can point to people and say, well, this is what God said. You can believe it or you don't have to believe it. I trust, trust that you will believe it. But Paul's not pointing a finger. Let me say what this really is. This is not Paul pointing a finger. This is not Paul saying, hey, I used to be really bad, now I'm really good. The rest of y'all are still really bad. It's not what Paul's saying. This is God pulling back the curtain on mankind's heart. That's what it is. This is God pulling back the curtain on all of mankind's heart because we're all in the same condition as Adam and Eve. We're fallen. So he's pulling back the curtain on all of mankind's heart. And what, what happens when God pulls back the curtain of all mankind's heart, he shows us from his omniscient and holy perspective the depth and the nature of our sin. It's a lot deeper than we would think it is. It's kind of like, you know, they used to think when they were drilling for oil, the major oil companies, they would think, hey, there's probably some oil down there 100 feet. But it turns out they now go miles down. Miles down. And the depth of our sin is miles deeper than we might have thought it was. We've been redeemed to no longer walk the way we did before. We've been redeemed once the Holy Spirit comes in our lives, to walk differently. And by the way, this word walk, if you say, what is, what is Paul talking about, this word walk here? Walk speaks, and we see this in the Bible as it, as, it, as it speaks to the Christian life. The walk is expressing our daily conduct, our daily conduct, the pattern of your life, the pattern of your life. If, uh, if you've seen a great sprinter run and they fell once, you don't call them a faller. You still call them a sprinter, why? The pattern of their life is running the race. Every now and then they tripped and fell. Do you call them, hey, there's the faller again? No, if they're the fastest, if a same bolt fell once, you'd still call him the fastest man in the world, right? Because he still would be, just because he fell once. The pattern of your life is walking in the Lord. And this, it, or the pattern of your life is walking in the world. Paul says it's one or the other. But we've been called to no longer walk the way we did. And this goes back to verse 1, by the way. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 4, remember he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. It goes back to verse 1 of chapter 4, that this walk that Paul is talking about is we we have to walk worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. Where were we before Christ? Where were we before saved? I got saved, as most of you have heard me say so many times, and you'll hear it again, I got saved in 1995. I was a different man post-1995 than I was all the years before that. I was new in Christ. We might have felt we were functioning normal, good, but we were actually, from God's vantage point, in futility, Futility, think about it. Futility is like a 10-year-old boy capturing an ant and putting it in a jar, which 10-year-old boys like to do. I used to do this kind of stuff, right? That ant's going to have a lot of activity, but it's going nowhere, right? It It will go around that jar 8 million times looking for an exit, but there is no exit unless someone divinely opens the jar and pulls the ant out. There's no escape. That was our life before Christ. We're like an ant in a jar going around and around and around, and the oxygen's going to end up, and eventually we will suffocate in that place. There is no life there. It's futile. So Paul says, uses this word. Look at the language he uses. He says, No longer walk the way we used to walk or where the world walks in the futility of their minds. In Job 15, 31, we see this verse. It says, Let him not trust in futile things, deceiving himself for futility will be his reward." The world deceives itself into thinking. We talked about uh, into thinking that what they're focused on is not futile when actually it is futile. We talked about this on Wednesday night. So if you were to talk to someone, let's say you go down to BCU and you talk to a college student. Hi, college student. What are you majoring? I major in engineering. Great, great, great. Uh, so when do you expect to graduate? I'm going to graduate in 2022. Excellent. Then what? Well, then I'm going to hopefully get a job, uh, a really good entry level job, maybe even a little bit above entry level, make a good amount of money. Then what? Well, I'm going to buy the best car I can finally get my hands on. Okay, great. Then what? Well, I hope I get married. All right. So then after that? Well, hopefully we have some kids. Great. What happens after that? hope I get promoted like 10, 15 times in my life. Okay? Then what? Uh, well, then after that, I'm going to retire early. Okay, then what? Well, I'm going to travel the world. Then what? Well, then I'm going to just see all kinds of really cool stuff. Then what happens after that? Well, uh, I'll do more of that. Well, by my math, you're up to about 90. Then what? (laughs) I guess I'm going to die at some point. Then what? Then what? All of a sudden, the conversation, well, I don't have time to think about that. You just told me from zero to 90. (laughs) You don't have time to think about the most important part? that's futile. It would be futile. Jesus said, what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Either Jesus is right or we're right. He said that would be futile to to spend all of this time and energy to do these great things, to lower your golf score, to go around the world, to see Paris, to see Singapore, to see all this stuff, and then you die. And you have nothing to say to God other than I saw the world. Jesus said, I saw if you, Jesus said, if you'd have come to me, I'd have sent you into the world anyway. But to reach lives. So, aimless conduct. Our minds, before we get saved, for those of us who've been born again, he goes on to say that, again, he's kind of taking a look in the rearview mirror, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance, because of the blindness of their heart our minds were messed up even if we didn't recognize it. Even if we didn't recognize it. Do you know you can be carrying a virus even when you don't know it? Do you know you can be a carrier of a virus even though you don't know it? Do you know some people have had AIDS like for five years and they, they didn't even know they had it? Until a blood test shows up? But all of a sudden that can turn on a dime and become very destructive inside the body. Jesus said, you have an incurable condition whether you realize it or not. Well, I don't feel that. Well, God says, it doesn't matter if you feel it. I'm telling you from heaven, it's there. And and we're wise to believe God. See, before we're saved, we're focused on happiness. We're focused on ourselves. We're focused on our ambition. We're focused on all these things. But God says, all those things will be poof, wood, hay, and stubble gone the second we slip into eternity. Fact or fiction? That's fact. That's biblical fact. And so he uses these words... That we were darkened. Our understanding was darkened. Satan, by the way, wants to keep people in the dark. He wants them to think that the most important thing on planet Earth is their fantasy football league. He wants them to think the most important thing on this Earth is their ability to complete 15 triathlons. That it's their ability to be smarter than someone else. That it's to have four, not just one Masters, but maybe even four. That it's their money and the bank that's more than the neighbor's and they can on occasion let people know it. Right? He wants people to be darkened by that thinking. That's not from God. That's pride. That's the desire to put ourselves above other people. Jesus descended below everybody else when he should have stood on top of everybody else, right? Our minds were messed up. They're darkened. We're focused on the wrong thing. He says we're alienated from the life of God. We had some kind of life, but it wasn't the life of God. Now, here's the thing about the life of God versus every other life. The life of God is eternal. All other kind of life dies. You can watch this in anything. Eventually, that plant you bought will die. If it's in my house, it'll die sooner because I'm not as good with them as maybe you are. But everything will die. The redwoods of California, the great oak trees, eventually a lightning bolt hits it, something happens, forest fire. Eventually, God says the whole earth will be consumed. Everything has a shelf life. True, the milk you buy, everything has a shelf life. But except for God's life, Jesus says, I am everlasting life. Isn't that great? It's a different life. But we were, we were estranged from the life of God. We were estranged from eternal life. We were in ignorance, Paul says. Ignorance. You talk to someone and say, well, I don't believe the Bible's true. You know, you almost every time I talk to someone like that, they've hardly read any of the Bible. Almost every time. So I say, well, how much have you read? Oh, uh, 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 I just know it's not true. There's like, th- like 22 authors. There's 66. All right, so uh, I was off by 44. But anyway, we'll talk about things, and you're like, Have you read the scriptures? Have you tasted to see that the Lord is good? Or have you only heard that this fun thing or that fun thing is good? And by the way, usually, you know, when people follow all the world's thing, they end up hugging the toilet or something and they wonder why this stuff happens. Because it's just not true. Satan always dangles these things that are, and people ignorantly say, that must be the good thing. God's trying to hold out on me. And ignorance and then it's blindness. Paul was blind. Paul, Paul thought he was mighty for God before he got saved, didn't he? He was killing Christians thinking he was doing God a service. Talk about blindness, right? Totally blind. I was watching a special recently on Jim Jones. Remember, he took in 900 and some people drank cyanide to their death. And I'm was, I was watching it, and I couldn't believe how blind these people are. The guy's saying he's like a Messiah. The Bible clearly says, don't follow anyone who says they're Messiah. Except for the Messiah, who's in heaven, sitting in the right hand of the Father. But people are blinded. Satan blind. By the way, he'll use anything. He'll use religion. He'll use immorality. He'll use fun. He'll use just busyness. I think that's the biggest one in America right now. Satan says, I'll just keep you so busy. And when you're out of your car... Headphones. When you're out of headphones, you put on this, and when you turn this on, you'll turn this on and turn this on, turn this on, turn this on, turn this on and you'll wake up and you're 58. Let's look at the next. Um, oh, but Paul says this. Well, we'll get to that in just a second. Let's look at the next verse, 19 through 22. Who, being past feeling, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned in Christ. If indeed you've been if indeed you have heard him, been taught by him at the truths in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the seatfulness of lust. Let's look at the next one, new actions. Thank you, Sound Booth, you did a great there. You already had it for me. What Paul then transitions to is not just the thoughts, but now it's the actions. What starts out in our mind ends up happening. What starts in the mind never stays there. You cannot think sinful things forever and just keep it there. It eventually will manifest. You wonder why some of the crimes that are committed and you're looking at them, you're like, how in the world does this happen? What starts in the mind eventually gets played out in actions. It's a a sinful thought that will eventually become a sinful action. It's like a fire. A fire spreads well beyond the original sparks, doesn't it? You, you see this massive forest fire in Colorado or Utah, and you see planes battling and all these you know firefighters a 400 firefighters fighting, and they say it was a small campfire on a Friday night. Unbelievable, but that's the way sin works. But the reminder here is that he says But you have not so learned in Christ. The things that start in the mind, if they're holy and right, they'll also work out into actions. Isn't that good to know? The things that are right and holy will also work out into actions. Before I was saved, I never envisioned myself standing at 11900 Genitale Road, standing up here on this Sunday morning, talking about the gospel to you. I thought I would be playing beach volleyball still. Or surfing or watching something on TV, or reading the Wall Street Journal, or anything but here. And God says, no, no, now that I've changed your mind, I'll change your actions. You'll have a different set of actions. You'll actually have works that will be done in the Holy Spirit. Just like if you focus on the sin in the mind, then works from the devil will start to flow. But the reminder here is that the thoughts of the lost, the thoughts of this world... <laughs> they perpetually are in a downward spiral. You ever notice that things seem to wax worse, not better, on the world stage? Did any of you, before you came to Christ, even just think of your own life, before you came to Christ, can you look, think back and say, I do remember at times, the thought would pop in my head, how did I get here? I never thought I'd say this, or do this, or think this, or act on this. You don't need to raise your hand because no one needs to be saying that. What what was that that you just raised your hand about, right? Some things are just left at the cross. Praise God for that, right? But some of you in this room can think back and say, yes, that thought hit me because it did me. I never thought I'd do that. Never thought I'd say that. Never thought I'd watch that. things can go from dark to darker. Romans chapter 1. Makes this clear. Things can go from dark to darker, and we don't have time to turn there, but Paul says that, that, that depravity can get worse and worse and worse. That what starts out in the mind, a person can so sear their conscience, they can be given over to certain sins. Given over, where you, you can talk to people that are so deep in sin, they'll say these words, I can't stop it. And they mean it. And it can be grotesque things, it can be pedophilia, it can be murder, it can be gang-banging, all these things, that I can't stop it. And in a sense, they are telling the truth at that point, because they've been given over, but the Holy Spirit's greater, right? The man of Gadara couldn't stop cutting himself until Jesus comes along. You have to have a force on the outside, God, that is greater than the force of this world. Jesus is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So in a sense, that's true. People can't stop it. They're given over to evil influences. Some people even are then possessed by demons. That's real in the world. We we believe we saw it firsthand in El Salvador. I believe I've I've seen it here in America too, in certain instances. Paul says, he goes on to say, who being past feeling. You ever seen crimes and and you've seen them on TV and you say, that looks like there's no conscience at all. It's true. Paul said they've passed feeling. They don't feel anything anymore. We've talked to incarcerated people that say that they feel that, but God, I've also seen him penetrate their hearts and then be completely transformed and have feeling again. And new feelings they've never had of love, of mercy, and of grace. Paul says here, past feeling, give themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. This is rampant immorality, no moral compass, no regard for what comes out of the mouth. And notice the three areas of sin that Paul talks about. Lewdness, which is speaking primarily about sexual immorality. Satan loves the whole world to be in bondage to sexual immorality. That's why pornography is exploding in our time. Exploding. He loves immorality. He loves people to be in uncleanness. You know, in the Netherlands, they, they a few years ago, I don't know how far back, they said they were going to uh, start euthanasia, but it would be very rare. You know, it makes up 4.5 percent of their deaths now. It's not rare. 4.5 percent of the deaths—that's—that's that's getting to be a big number. Uncleanness, unclean thinking. He goes on. He says, greediness. You—you th- you realize how greedy the world is. People that don't care about other people. All about greed. You know, people at the top of the drug business, they don't care if people at the bottom are going to die before they're 30, strung out, as long as they have their money, right? They couldn't care less. Corporate CEOs can be just as bad. White collar versus black collar or uh, underground mafioso, whatever it is, greed is greed in God's economy. You know, by the way, what Paul mentions here, if you say the spiral say, if if this is the if God's pulling back the curtain on all of the human heart, what's kept the world from turning into the seven-year tribulation already? Nothing but the restraining of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize if God pulls his hand of restraint off this world, we would destroy each other in about a month? It's nothing but God's common grace that's kept the world from imploding. And he will keep it that way until his church is done with its mission. Amen? Amen. That's the only thing. There's nothing else. You can look at the scripture and say, what stops the world from every situation being Cain and Abel? Nothing but God. It's his common grace. It's his common grace. It's the restraining that will someday be taken away. When that's taken away, the Antichrist will pull everybody into a pit like this world's never seen before. But, Paul, uh, John says in 1 John, first two 16, uh, first John two 16, For all those in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of the life, is not of the Father, but of this world. That's the course of this world. This world is full of pride, full of lust, full of flesh. But uh, again, to go back to the original thought, the difference is if people are not in San Quentin for a triple ha- homicide, they don't think they're part of that lust of the flesh and pride of life. They think that's somebody else, but God says, no, that's you too. The great white throne judgment says, I saw the great and the small and all of head and earth flood away. Do you know that at the great white throne, there'll be people that were just kind of, well, I was not the baddest person at the office. I only told one dirty joke a month. But the dude beside me told 12 a month. But they'd be in the same place if they had never repented, Right? Both would be at the same place. So God is saying, look, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, this is the common walk of the world. But Paul said, but you've not so learned of Christ. Look at verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. Brother and sister, have you been taught by Jesus? Have you been taught a new way? Have you walked in a new way? Are you walking away? Are you being taught by Jesus? Not just by me this morning. I'm talking about tomorrow when no one's around but you. Are you going to be taught by Jesus tomorrow? Are you going to be taught by Jesus on Tuesday? Are you going to be taught by Jesus on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Ten years from now, God takes you to a different state. Will you still be taught by Jesus? I hope. If, if, if He lives inside of you, you will. Because the, as the truth is in Jesus, that truth can never be removed from my life. It'll only grow stronger and deeper in my life. Peter said we've spent enough of our past life doing the will of a lost world. He said the will of Gentiles. We've we've done enough of that. God says put it away, rear view mirror, now walk in the newness of life and the new works that I've prepared for you, which was also in Ephesians. Uh, Christ has called us out uh, in verse 20. We've been called out here by the Lord. We're now disciples of his teaching. We've been called to new actions. An anonymous author said, I don't know who said it, but it, uh, they said, the will of God will not take you where the, grace of not can, where the grace of God cannot keep you. The will of God will not take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. This walk we're called to, we can all do it because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. He has not said the only people who can pull this off are Paul, Peter, John, Moses, Abraham, and a handful of others. The rest of you, you're going to fail miserably. Last one we'll look at this morning. We've been called to um, new thoughts. We've been called to new actions. And we'll close with uh, verse 23 and 24. We've been called to new lordship. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And be renewed and put on. J.C. Ryle said, We are to order our lives by the light of his law, not our guesses about his plans. The the law is the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my what? Feet. We know what to do because our Lord has given us our marching orders. He's given us the list. He's given us the command. He's given us the scriptures. We don't have to wonder anymore. Dr. Charles Stanley has a great uh, teaching in a book I've been reading by him about God's, um, his determined will versus his desired will. You know what God's determined will is? Here's God's determined will. I will send my only begotten son. That'll happen. That did happen, right? I will someday judge the whole world. That's God's determined will. There's no I'll send Jesus to a city called Bethlehem. He'll be born of a virgin. That's God's determined will. You know what his desired will is? He I desire all men to be saved. Guess what comes with the desired will? Free will. With the desired will is free will. You can say no thanks. I don't want you, God. Or you can say please have mercy upon me. And God says, "Now, you have followed my desired will. The determined will was the sending of Jesus. There, there was no, you could not stop Jesus from going on the cross. Nobody could. That was determined. It was actually, the Bible says, done before time began, settled. But the desired will is God says, I desire you to repent. People say, Well, I don't want to repent. Then I'll let you have your will. My desire is that you, that God would say, His desire that we repent. So the desired will versus the purpose will. So we, God says, I desire that you acknowledge that I'm Lord of your life, and you say, yes, Lord, you are Lord of my life. That's his desired will. We have to know his word. We have to obey his word. It's not our plan, but his plan. He rescued us to use us, right? He rescued us to use us. If you buy a tool for your garage, you don't buy it to uh, buy it and then throw it straight in the trash can. You buy it to use it. Jesus purchased you to use you. He purchased me. To use me. We have a new master. And he's a good shepherd, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's great to his sheep. He's wonderful to his sheep. He's our savior. He's our king. But as our king, he's our leader. You know, the Marines are looking for a few good men, right? And women. Because they have women in the Marine Corps, too. But Christ, he's looking for a few forgiven and surrendered men and women. Not good. He'll make them good. He's looking for a few forgiven and surrendered men and women and just like you get a set of clothing at basic training you don't order your clothes at basic training Uh, i don't like that outfit i was hoping for something more stylish than that you don't order your clothes at basic training you get a set of clothing and jesus gives us a set of clothing of his righteousness and his salvation but now we have to put them on right You have to put them on, be renewed in the spirit. You have to put on the new man, verse 24. You have to put them on. Jesus says, no, they sat on your bed for a week. When are you going to put them on? Well, I'm waiting for a more opportune time to put them on. Jesus said, you're naked. Put them on now, right? Now is the time to put them on. You see, we're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. We're going to look at this way more uh, next week in verses 25 through 32, but uh, we're saved to do something, to be something, to walk in a certain way. We looked at this um, in our men's study on uh, Friday in Titus, that the grace that saves us now trains us, trains us. It saves us, but now it trains us. But even with a desire, we're going to come to a close here, Even if you have this morning, brother and sister, you have a deep desire to follow Christ. You have a deep deep desire to live for Christ. You have a desire to deny your flesh daily. You have a desire to walk in newness of life. Guess what? It's still really hard. Did you just figure this out? It's really hard. It's super hard. Our flesh is still strong, isn't it? Our flesh still wants to say whatever it wants to say with no consequences. Our flesh still wants what it wants. We still need God's help. We still need continual renewal and be renewed. Renewed means you have to kind of be recleaned a lot of times. Renewed. Because even if we're trending upwards in faithfulness and maturity, we still have setbacks. We still have fallbacks. We still have, I can't believe I did this again, Lord. And God's like, well, I've seen a lot of you for the last 2,000 years. (laughs) And you're not the first. But are you going to sulk in it or be renewed? Are you going to sulk in it or get going forward? Are you going to put on the clothes or let them sit on the bed a little longer? That's what God will say. Maturity says, yes, Lord, I come back to the mercy seat that you gave to Moses. Let me start anew, afresh. It's a cycle. Let's pull up the next slide. It's a cycle. This is my effort at a diagram here. It just hopefully a visual helps you understand if it will advance. Picture, if you will, <laughs> a diagram. <laughs> there you go. The point of salvation Salvation doesn't move on a straight line. It doesn't go like this, to maturity. Each of these circles intersect, and sometimes you actually take steps backwards as you're going forward, spiritually speaking. God will actually have you take a couple of humble steps backwards sometimes because you thought you were stronger than you were. Right, right, right. Yes. I, I, I found this amount many times. Lord, I, I know I'll keep finding it out. But anyway, we keep going, and, but yet... As he kind of sends us back, recrossing paths what we thought we had already figured out, we get more mature and more humble, and we're growing in grace, and we're expanding in God's use of us. He's widening our horizons and touching life, and that's called a work of sanctification. And it takes a lifetime. But we're being renewed a lot. And this time next year, you might revisit the same verse you saw 10 years ago, and it'll it'll hit you in a way it's never hit you before. And God had retraced the circle and said, you thought you learned everything there, but actually you learned 2% of the 100% I want you to learn there. Mm -hmm. The next time, you're up to 6% learning in that area. I don't know how this works. I hope that makes sense to you. But it's a cycle of renewal and growth. God renews us, renews us, renews us, renews us, renews us, renews us, renews us. And we just continue to grow. Take a look at the last thing here this morning. But with renewal, we can be overcomers. I have some F words here that are good ones. Our flesh, our foes. I don't know where that came from, but anyway. Our failures. They really start with the letter F, I'm just telling you. Uh, Our flesh, our foes, our failures... Our fatigue, our fears—I meant nothing by that. Just it's your evil minds that thought that. Uh... See, I know where you, what world you came out of, and I did too. So, but our flesh, our foes, our failures, our fatigue—would anyone like to be delivered from any of these? Has anyone experienced any of them this week? I bet you you have. We can overcome if we're renewed in the inner man. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer.